You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. I'm going to be speaking now, our third one on bless, as Nikki said, if you're visiting us, we, we believe that as a church, we are blessed to be a blessing. We believe that God blesses us, that we can bless other people. We don't want to just keep it all here. We want to share the good news. And so we're looking at this word, blessed. First week was B, begin with prayer. And I loved it that we gathered and we pray. Yeah, another little plug. My meetup is tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock. If you want to come and pray, join me in the office. Last week then, we looked at the whole thing of listening. It's so important, isn't it, just to stop and to listen. We can so often be talking and flying at a speed. Today, I'm going to be looking at E, eating. Food, glorious food. This is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Basically, I know that you guys love food. How do I know that? Well, I discovered this. The average Londoner, the average Londoner eats out 3.7 times a week. Now, some of you are thinking, man, alive, I'm a little under average. I need to rectify that this week. The average Londoner, if you include takeaways and home deliveries, only half of their 14 dinners uh, or lunches a week are prepared in their own kitchen at home. Only seven meals out of 14 are actually prepared at home because they love to take away. Top dishes. Anyone want to shout out a country that you think will be the top dish that Londoners enjoy eating? Italian. Italian is first, Japanese is second, French is third. That's the kind of food that we enjoy eating. Do you know that the the average Londoner spends £2,500 per year on lunch and snacks? Can you believe that? 2,500 per year. The average spend per month on food in London is 235 pounds. 235 pound, the average person per month. So if you're a family of four, you just kiss goodbye to almost a grand. Golly, it's shocking stuff, isn't it? Okay, so let's get a little bit more personal. Where do you enjoy eating? Who would go for Charlotte's? First place you think, Smart, yeah, smart. People go there. Portions are too small. Okay, what about Santa Maria? The best... Oh, sorry, we... Nando's. Who likes Nando's? The first Nando's in the country was here in Ealing. It was that one. There you go. So you might think... Or, if you look at TripAdvisor... I'm going to see the next one. Yeah, that's... uh, Best pizza in London. I like that one. TripAdvisor think the one with the highest scores is the German sausage man. I looked up TripAdvisor where to eat, and the place that got the highest number of five stars for Ealing was the German sausage man. Is that where you enjoy eating? The reality is the way that we eat has changed loads. Mary Berry, the food writer and TV presenter, says this. As I was growing up, All meals, including breakfast, were family occasions, and you sat down and you ate together. Is that true for you? Is that true now of how we consume food? 
Greg Rutherford, the MBE, uh, GB track and field athlete, he said actually this. He said, we'd always eat dinner together as a family. But the reality is the way that we eat food has changed masses. So how do we understand the Bible? This story that we're going to be reading from Matthew. If you've got a Bible, you might want to find it. It's Matthew chapter 9. This is Jesus eating. You see, we know the book of Matthew. If you had to describe these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and if you had to describe the book of Matthew in one word, I would say this, kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom of God coming. That's how we understand the whole book, kingdom advance. And yet, what do we see here? We understand that kingdom starts with food. In fact, if you read the book of Luke, which is another story of the account of Jesus, virtually every chapter, Jesus is either going to a meal, coming from a meal, or consuming a meal. We know that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. I'm going to talk on that next week. That's the S. We know that he came to seek and save those that don't know him. Donna will share her story later. But how did he do it? He came by eating and drinking. Do you know, this story that we're going to look at is so important. It's recorded in three of the Gospels, three times. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read from Matthew chapter 9. Jesus, we thank you that you've spoken to us so powerfully this morning. We do believe that we are blessed to be a blessing. We thank you that we can pray to you. We thank you we can listen to others. I pray you help us to understand how do we enjoy eating together. For your name's sake, amen. So if you've got a Bible now, I'm going to Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, the calling of Matthew. This is the guy we believe who wrote the gospel. And so obviously it's quite a personal thing. He's trying to say, well, this is how I started off. Verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So this was the start of Matthew's relationship, you could say, with Jesus Christ. What do we know about Matthew and Jesus? Well, we know that Jesus has lived in this area and worked as a craftsman, as a carpenter, for about 30 years. We know that Matthew was a tax collector. I've often said, you know, if if the Bible was pantomime, you'd be booing by now. Just to say the word tax collector, you realize, bad person. You see, the Romans who occupied this place, they charged taxes. So this Jewish man had joined the enemy and was taking money off his own nation. And you've got to remember, this wasn't just a political thing. This was a religious thing. 
Because actually, as Jews, you believed that God was king and that God ruled the nation. So not only had he joined your physical enemy, he'd also joined your spiritual enemy. And he was charging taxes. The Jews were looking forward to the day when the Romans were overthrown and God came. And yet Jesus, God on earth, stops and eats with Matthew. This would have been a shocking thing. We, we may have heard this so many times. Oh, they just had a meal together. But for, in this culture, to have a meal with them was to be friends. It was to go beyond just, I filled my belly. It's not, oh, we just sat on the same bench and just happened to have shared our lunch together. This was a sense of, we're in it together. You're acceptable. Jesus had says to Matthew, come on, leave everything. Follow me. I still believe that Jesus is calling people to abandon everything and to follow him today. This is why we love to baptize. The whole thing of when we gather around the pool, it's symbolizing, isn't it? Well, actually, I've died to myself. I leave it all. I get up. I follow you. This is how this food happens. And so Matthew... I don't know, maybe we should have got Donna to do this. I, I know she's a great cook. You know, the first thing that happens when he, he meets with Jesus, Matthew didn't get into the pool. He threw a party. He suddenly said, great, let's get as many people around as possible and let's eat. J.C. Ryle, he was the first bishop ever of Liverpool. He said this, a converted man would not wish to go to heaven alone. It's almost like once you've realized who Jesus is and what he's done, why wouldn't you throw a party for other people to say, come, discover all this? John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church, says no man ever went to heaven alone. He must either find friends or make them. Matthew suddenly discovers his friends and pulls them together. I like to imagine what it would be like. What was this party like? I imagine some noisy, raucous party going on late into the night. Sadly, the neighbours are a bunch of religious types. They would have polite dinner parties, just chatting amongst themselves. What do you think the Bible really says? Full of references to God. They come and complain. What's this noisy party? When they turn up, they discover Jesus eating with a tax collector. They don't complain about the noise. They complain about the guest list. What on earth are you doing eating with him? See, Jesus came eating and drinking. He came connecting with ordinary, everyday people. In fact, he came connecting with those that society might have said, why would you eat with them? What about you? What about me? How good am I at eating with those that other people disregard? You see, the danger is that we could, in, in this story, we could, we could think we're like Jesus and his disciples, but actually we're more like the Pharisees. And what we've done is we, we, we've kept ourselves away from all those that might taint us. Stay away, come out, be separate. We turned inwards and think, how do we make ourselves better and better and better? Whereas actually, if we're going to be a blessing, we should surely be those that are eating and drinking with others. 
It's all too easy. The more committed we become to God, the more isolated we become from other people. And yet that's not God's way. God's way has always been this. We are to feast together. I love that, don't you? We just had a week of prayer and fasting, and we encourage people to fast some of that week. And I think it's great to say, right, I'm going to abstain from food, and I'm going to cry out to God. But actually, the Bible has got loads to say about feasting. And what I want to preach this morning is, come on, how do we just get together and enjoy great food together? You see, this was, I believe, a, a prophecy about God's people. If you read in Isaiah, Isaiah was a chap in the Old Testament. Uh, he speaks this, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. It's like, come on, actually the gospel is something about reconciliation and reconciliation over food. That's what God had told his people the kingdom of God is all about. And yet by the time we get to Matthew, you find the Jewsy over here and the Gentilesy over here. And Jesus comes bringing this kingdom, saying we've got to be those that mix. Jesus says you can't be a doctor unless you mix with the sick. Neither can we. Grace is so gracious it's scandalous. That's what you discover when you look at this story. I mean, it was so gracious, it was scandalous. I, like Matthew, was an enemy of God. But Jesus, in his grace, reached down and wants to eat with me. So therefore, why not me with other people? There's a British author called Alan He says this, there are few more effective ways to promote tolerance between suspicious neighbors than to force them to eat supper together. Now, it's funny, isn't it? Because an Englishman's home is his castle, and we all tend to go home and think, I shut the door and I do my own thing. But he said, actually, if we really wanted to break down barriers in society, we'd force people out of their homes as they sit and eat together. Come here, sit and eat together. This guy wasn't a Christian, but he he understood something of people. That was true of a guy called Caesar. He's an American rights activist. He says this, if you really want to make a friend, go to someone's house and eat with them. The people who give you their food give you their heart. He's not necessarily even a Christian guy, but he was saying that if you can eat with someone, you can connect. There's a heart understanding. I want to ask you, I want to ask myself, how good are we eating with other people? How good The reality is that we all make excuses. And I read this week, excuses are like armpits. Everyone has a couple and they all stink. We're not here to make excuses about I'm too busy and I can't get round to it and I haven't got time. I'm trying to think practically, how do we genuinely break down barriers and eat together? I do want to be really, really practical. People don't know. But sorry, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, I think that's often a way of eating with people. 
So therefore, I think as a church, we should be those that are genuinely looking for ways to eat together. Which mealtime this week could you share with somebody else? What day could you take somebody else for a coffee? Go out for lunch. Invite someone round to your place. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, I remember one time being invited to somebody's house and they really apologized and said, oh, we're really sorry, they invited us around for dinner. We've not had any time to cook. <laughs> and they ordered takeaway pizza. Now, you know, maybe this is me, just a simple bloke. I thought, man, I love that's one of the nicest meals I've ever had. <laughs> Do you know what? Because we just sat and laughed the whole evening. And so they weren't even so busy rushing around trying to get stuff. We just sat and just had an absolute riot. And, and what it made me realize is actually the whole thing of connecting, food is nice, I'm not anti-food, but actually I wanted to really connect with a person. And it was the time. And I think, how do we genuinely, creatively do this together? You see, when you read this story about Matthew, we don't know what they ate. I took my wife out for coffee last week, and um, I had my first ever brown chocolate and beetroot cake. Yeah, I, f- I feel I'm a real proper eating resident now, you know what I'm saying? I haven't got a clue what else was in it. I haven't got a clue what they made the cream with. It tasted lovely. The reality was, though, I went for time with my wife. But it just meant we just had coffee and cake out together. I want to throw down the challenge for us. How do we do this? Oh, it's going to get personal now. But we're amongst friends. We're four years old together. This table over here, it's got nothing to do with coffee. It's all to do with community. Why do we serve coffee and cake before the meeting? Because we want to connect. Because the kingdom of God is about connection. I'm, I'm honestly saying this. If, you, if this is your home church, we don't start at 10.30. We start at 10 o'clock. Because we're blessed to be a blessing. So we don't think, oh, well, I had a cup of tea at home. We think, it's irrelevant. I'll just take a glass of water. I'm here to connect. Because I want to be here to know somebody. Look, if you turned up late this morning, there's grace. But there isn't next week. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think, come on, how do we put this into practice? Oh, you can't change the past, but you could change the future. Genuinely, you know, we, we do tea and coffee afterwards as well. Why do we do that? We don't keep a cow out the back there. We haven't just got milk to use up. We're genuinely trying to say, how do we facilitate something of community together? That, that's, that's the thing. Why? Because the kingdom of God is about eating and drinking. I would love every single person. I thought, oh yeah, I've connected because I was there. I would love to think we've modeled something here that we all do in the week. Let's be really frank. If this is your home, you might say, oh, Pete, I've been here four years. I don't think anyone's invited me around for a meal. Great. The first place to start is who have you invited? You know what I'm saying? Who have you invited? You might say, I don't think anyone's had me round in 2017. Who have you had round? I would love it if every one of us committed. Why couldn't I invite somebody round every week? We could do something like that, couldn't we? 
You've got 21 opportunities in the next seven days to put this into practice. Here we're going to eat at least three times a day. If you've got teenagers, you've probably got about 54 opportunities in the next week just to eat with somebody. Genuinely, I think, come on, how do we stir ourselves? Families that eat together stay together. I was always taught. I would love to think that people, and you might say, oh, Pete, I've just got a bed sitting. Doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? You could just sit and have custard creams. Just think, great, here you go, biscuit. It really, do you know, I had this, um, one church I was involved in, there was a guy that, he worked in Holland all month, and he would just come home once a month, and he was part of our church. And uh, he said, we had these small groups like meetups. He said, oh, Pete, we can't have it in my house. I've only got two chairs. He said, but we'd love to come to your house. He said, well, where would people sit? I said, well, you've got a floor. Who's going to sit on the chair? Well, we had one lady, Molly, that was 87. So we gave her one chair, and the rest of us fought for the other one. We went round, had a brilliant time. Do you know what? The guy quit his job on the basis of that one evening. Because he said, you know, I've been traveling to Holland and working for Holland. I've just felt so isolated and lonely. And I cannot believe that you guys would all come around and just sit in my room. The fact that I haven't got furniture is irrelevant. Literally just sat on the floor. He said, this is what I'm missing. The lady Molly that was in the group, we used to go to her house every so often. Just so happened that the older folk tended to live in the same area. She used to say to me, oh, I do love it, Pete, when the group comes to our house. I said, why is that? She said, because all my next-door neighbors' curtains are twitching. (laughs) What are all these young people doing in Molly's house? (laughs) She said, well, they're my church. (laughs) I just thought, what a great way of boasting. This is what it's like. The kingdom of God is eating and drinking. I just love to encourage us. How could we creatively do that? What opportunities there this week to think, oh, this is something about what the kingdom of God is. And then I think, actually, it's not just about here. It's about there, isn't it? So the honest truth is, if we all had a meal with somebody else in the church this week, that would be lovely, brilliant. But if we all did it with somebody else in the community, wouldn't that be even better? Wouldn't it be great this week just to think, I know you're at work and you, you say to a colleague, come on, let, let's go and grab a sandwich here. And you pay for it. Man alive. Hey, suddenly you're blessed to be a blessing, aren't you? People are going to think, I want to lunch with them more often. I would love that, wouldn't you? I think, wouldn't it be great if, if we just suddenly thought, yeah, we're out. I was out um, with somebody in the church, actually. I think there's about six of us, I can't remember, maybe eight of us. We're having a really nice time. And you suddenly think, oh, come on, we've got to pay the bill. And, oh, how much is it? Somebody just quietly slipped off and paid the whole bill for us. I'm not going to mention the names. I don't want them to lose their reward. And I don't want you to get in the queue before I eat with them again. <laughs> but you just, you just suddenly thought, wow, what a great heart. Blessed to be a blessing. Gwyneth Paltrow. I realized she was an actress. I discovered this week that she's a singer and a food writer. She says this, creating a meal for my friends and family, sitting together, eating, laughing and talking. That is when I'm so happy. It's almost like she's discovered something inside. Actually, isn't this what we were made to do? 
I would love to throw it out that we are made to do it. We are blessed to be a blessing. Jesus came bringing the kingdom by eating and drinking. I read a book this week in preparation by a guy called Aaron Chambers. He's an author and a pastor. He said inviting people to come to church is good, but inviting ourselves to the world is even better. Actually, wouldn't it be even better if we could go out and think, who could I show hospitality to this week? Some of you know, Nicky and I have uh, lived in Hanwell uh, five years now. Every Christmas, we invite our whole street round for mulled wine and mince pies. And sometimes, I've got to be honest, you can feel a bit vulnerable. You know, I knock on the door and, I, you know, and they sort of go, who's this? And I say, oh, I'm Pete, I just live over the road there. Just like to invite you to come over for mulled wine and mince pies. You think, does it make any difference? My next door neighbours do shift work. They both work for BA. This year, they said to me in October, when are you having your Christmas get-together? I said, oh, why is that? I thought I hadn't actually planned it. In fact, I felt so insecure, I didn't even know if I was going to do it this year. I said, why is that? And they said, we both want to book a day's annual leave so that we can make sure we can come. I went back to Nick and said, we're going to have to do one this year, make up a date quick, and I'll run back and tell them. I thought, isn't it interesting? And then I'm going around doing the, the invites. And it's funny because the lady, like five doors down, and I'm just knocking on her door. And she said, How oh, do you know what, Pete? I was just doing my garden thinking, When's Pete going to come around and invite me around for mild wine? I thought, Wow. You see, it's just something I could think, Oh, fairly small. But who knows the difference it makes? Genuinely. I just want to come. Now, you might not want to do that, but what is it that you could think I could do? I find it fascinating that this gospel written by Matthew starts with a meal. But actually, if you read the whole book of Matthew, you know that it ends in a meal. He only records, I can think of, two meals in his gospel. The first one was the first one he ate with Jesus. The second one was the last one he ate with Jesus. And if you've got a Bible, you can just flick over in the book of Matthew to Matthew 26. Whilst they were eating... Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You see, ultimately, Matthew understood that that Jesus paid the price. This refers to the cross. This refers to the fact that Jesus, the perfect, spotless Son of God, died on a cross not for what he'd done wrong, but for what we have done. And so Jesus said, look, I want you to always take this meal and remember what I've done for you. Remember, I shed my blood so that you don't have to. Shed it so that your guilt can be taken away, so that you can be right with God Almighty. This is the the meal that Matthew ends with. And he said, isn't it amazing that he would die for me, that I could be forgiven. But I guess that's their motivation for us to go and share meals with anyone else, isn't it? 
we're not just the do-good of society. You know what I'm saying? We're not just here, polish up your shoes, you know, let's see if I can just make myself a little bit more presentable. We understand that because of what Jesus has done for us, it changes everything. And so I don't just walk into this week and think, oh, I wonder what I personally can consume on every occasion. I think, how could I bring the kingdom of God? If he would do that for me, then how could I be a blessing to somebody else? Kingdom of God is about eating and drinking. I charge you, do it and do it well. In Jesus' name.